on this week's Devils in the Details. The scoop on this week's battering of Chelsea, in which United posted the highest single-match XG total of any team in any Premier League game for over three seasons. With the FA Cup final looming large, how do United set up? Once again, we ask, how can teams beat City in full flow? How worrying is Anthony's injury? And finally, our thoughts on the strong links to Mason Mount, the slightly more dubious links to Neymar and Harry Kane, and the overall transfer strategy of teams going into the summer. case it is 10 24 p.m probably the latest we've ever recorded devils in the details um i guess in the uk it's past 3 a.m how are you doing i'm doing all right aaron i'm doing all right uh, i had a a marathon of a weekend um but yeah i cannot complain how are you doing i'm not too bad um i've had a pretty quiet weekend supposed to be full of studying but it's been variable um one of the things I did instead of studying was watch the finale of the Premier League, which was fun. I split-screened um, Match Day Live and the United game to prep for this podcast. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the Fulham match later. We'll start with Chelsea. Um, like I said in the intro, this was United's highest XG total in a couple of years, and I believe it's the highest XG total posted by any team since early 2020. Um, Understat rated it at 4.9 XG for United. FB ref rated at 5.2 XG for United. Despite those numbers, though, I think they were more testament to how poor Chelsea were than how good United were. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think the first half for United was really a shambles. I think you could even argue that Chelsea were the better side, uh, despite some you know some obvious uh, moments of quality from Casemiro and and Jadon Sancho. Uh, second half, Chelsea clearly fell apart. Uh, just, I, I don't think I've ever seen United produce so many uh, opportunities on the break in, in a given half, uh, going back a long, long time. Uh, so it was, a, it was a good watch, at least in the second half. And uh, I'm not sure there's a lot to learn from this match. Chelsea aren't really set up to, to succeed tactically right now. They're obviously, there's probably morale issues in the squad, given how poor this season has been. There's quality gaps. Like, there were a lot of reasons why United should have won this match, and they did. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's that much uh, to read into there. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, and for what it's worth, the the high xG total for United is more indicative of a bad Chelsea defense, especially transition defense, um, than them actually rolling over in this match. They put up almost two xG according to both Understat and FERF. So it's it wasn't the biggest xG differential. It was just a game where both sides created a lot of chances but United created an insane amount of chances um and that ha- like that really has to do with how Chelsea set up in defense um this has been a problem throughout Lampard's managerial career he cannot set up teams that have good rest defensive principles when his teams lose the ball the opposition wreak havoc on them um but I think the most important takeaway from this match was Anthony's injury um it's rumored that he will be okay to start for the FA Cup final um, but I don't know. How do you think that injury impacts United going forward? Uh, I guess it's only going to be one game that he's out for, even if he is out. Um, he did miss the Fulham match, which didn't really matter. Yeah. Does this worry you? Yeah, I think this definitely worries me for the, for the FA Cup final. Um, 
I think especially in a match like this, what you're worried about is you're out of possession execution because, you know, City will punish you if, if your wingers are lacking. And I think Anthony is by far United's best uh, winger out of possession. But beyond that, I think, you know, you have, you have greater balance with him playing off the right wing in terms of your ability to maintain, maintain possession down the right side, which means you can exit pressure more effectively, which means, um, you know, fewer extended periods where you're under pressure. There's a, there's a lot of benefits to it. Even if he doesn't, uh, even if he wasn't necessarily likely to, to score the winning goal, which wouldn't be surprised if he were to either way. So um, I think it's a pretty big loss. That said, Sancho's looked pretty good at the right wing these last two matches. Yeah, so we had a couple of questions related to this, and I agree with you that Sancho was pretty good in these two games. Um, my first question is, I guess, do you think that it, it's related to Sancho playing on the right instead of the left, or do you think it's just a coincidence that he's kind of come into gear um, around the same time that he was moved to the right in this match? Tough to say. I think definitely the match conditions from these two matches had a lot to do with it. I think somebody sort of shorthandedly called the the Chelsea match akin to Bundesliga conditions, which I think is fair. Uh, It was a lot. It was very end-to-end. A lot of space in transition. um, And and that's where Sancho seemed to, to make the most impact. Fulham matches generally look like that, in my opinion. So, um, even though I, I actually missed chunks of, of today's match, um, I, I I would venture to guess that 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 was a, that it was a similar motif. And based on what I saw, I think it was. So, I don't know. I I, I definitely I want to see more of him at right wing. But I've also said this before about left wing, where he's ha- had a couple of great appearances at left wing. And I've thought, oh, maybe. What this is, is is demonstrating that he he's more effective in that space, and I'm not ultimately convinced it's true anymore. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not sure either. I don't think there was anything about his performances on the right this week that benefited from angles in a way that I think is a net positive over the angles he benefits from when playing at left wing. They're obviously different, but I don't think there's huge evidence at least from these two matches that the reason why he's playing better is because he's playing at right wing i I will Um, say this much i do think his two of his best ever starts for united were playing on the right wing uh which were this this win against chelsea and then the the loss to watford under ali at the very end and and a big part of that was i felt if you could get him in space on the right he's he's a very effective crosser but I don't know. I. It's so late in the season for me to even go to the refrain. We'll see how this breaks going forward, but I'm. Uh, I think with Sancho, I'm at like innocent until until proven guilty. And when I say innocent until proven guilty, I mean innocent of being effective until proven guilty. Um, I'm I'm pretty skeptical at this point because we've been burned before. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, It's a tough one. I I think it's also one of those where whenever he's effective, people point to the transitional states of games. And I think that's a little bit unfair to him um, because there are a lot of transitional games in a season. A lot of United's players are productive players primarily in transition. True. Um, And I think it tends to get leveled at Sancho more often than others because he came from the Bundesliga and... He played in a team that thrived a lot in transitional states. 
Um, as for whether he continues to get better in this role, I don't know. I think in general he's playing better than he was three months ago. I'm Like I've said, I'm more concerned about the rate at which he's improving than whether he's improving. I also, I think against Fulham, he was pretty good, but he wasn't, like, amazing. Um, a lot of his touches I found were quite loose. I thought there were times when I thought he angled for a nice one-two or a nice playmaking action, but other players just weren't reading his movements. And at this point, I'm a little bit concerned about that on a team-wide level, but I also wonder to what extent it's just going to be that way in terms of what Ten Hag is demanding from the wide players. Um, I do expect to see more of the fullbacks in attacking areas next season, but yeah, it, it's really going to come down to A, can he execute better when he's on the ball? And B, can United get him more involved in these games because he doesn't seem to be asserting himself? Um, and I think against Chelsea, they succeeded in doing that. Against Fulham, they remote, they relatively succeeded in doing that. Other than that, I don't really think he's going to be... I, I, I think we're seeing what we're seeing for a reason, basically, at this point. Feel like I feel like I took really long for a really simple idea there, but... Yeah, end of year two, I think he is what he is. Uh, and I hope I'm wrong about that, but... Um, yeah, yeah. He'll have matches where we think, oh, maybe maybe he's going to go on a run, and then we'll have matches where we're underwhelmed, um, unfortunately. I, I don't think he's going to be a, a massive difference maker for this team. I wouldn't go that far, but I think I think it's unlikely he becomes one. I mean, okay, it's unlikely that he becomes one. How different is that from I don't think he's going to be one? That's true, I guess. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, today was match week 38. So what I'm inclined to say is we'll see what happens, but the reality is we'll, we won't see what happens till August. So (laughs) his current performance level, I would not say is one of the worst players currently in the squad. Definitely not. So I think it's pretty likely he's around next season and plays a fair bit. So he'll have the chance. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping United will be better next season than they are this season in possession and out of possession. Um, I'm hoping that will lead to more opportunities for Sancho and other players. And it's at that point up to him to change our minds, I guess. Um, I think that's pretty much all for that. We can move to Fulham. Fulham. Ahmed, uh, friend of the pod, had a question. Garnacho being bad when starting. Sancho is better. Is Sancho being better at right wing a symptom of better movement on that side? Um, and are there key stylistic changes you want to see for next year? Um, I think this is a pretty interesting one. Garnacho being bad when starting, I'm not concerned about that much. Um, I think it's just a product of he's a very um, bold decision maker, and I think it pays off for him more often against higher defenses. Um, he's also run, he runs in behind a lot. I think that pays off for him better in states when the opposition are committed to attacking or in higher lines and able to, or, or vulnerable to balls in behind where he can run in transition. I think Garnacho becoming a starter will be dependent on him improving his decision-making against blocks and being able to generate movement against them. That also leads to goal scoring chances, which I think he did a fair bit against Fulham. I think his out of possession performance will also have a strong bearing on whether he starts. Cause I don't think 
I don't think he's up to snuff really uh, in terms of his, ex- his execution of the press at the moment. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think the Sancho point is similar here too, where I think the stylistic change I want to see is just more fullback involvement, um, more aggressive in the press, more aggressive in attack. Um, maybe some more variation where the midfielders are the ones who take up the rest defensive positions. To me, it feels like there are times when the wingers end up very isolated in the attack. Um, Dalo and Shaw, and then in this match, it was Dalo and Malasia, can end up just sitting quite deep while the wingers attack and there's overloads in central areas for the wingers to play into with players like Fernandez, um, Fred, Martial, or in this match, it was Rashford. Yeah, I think it would, I think it would be nice to see a little bit more from the fullbacks. Um and I think that will help both Sancho, Garnacho and Anthony. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I would add two things. I think a an interesting thing that I'll be looking for going into next season is the volume in which United generate chances from deep crossing positions. Um and I don't mean Super deep crossing. I mean, basically any crossing opportunity more than 18 yards from the byline. So visualize that. I think United are particularly unproductive from those situations, in particular when it comes to their wingers and their fullbacks. I think Bruno and Erickson, to some extent, offer some value from those positions, but the guys who are generally occupying those spaces haven't really created any chances from those situations. And I think that's a distinction from what you see from other sides. Uh, In particular, I think Arsenal and City this season created a decent number of chances from those situations, um, getting the ball into the box earlier. Um, And that doesn't mean I want to see United hawking early balls in, but I I think there's been a really low efficiency right this season on that. I I can hardly remember... um, a winger or a fullback putting in a, a ball that led to a goal from, from one of those situations. I can remember Erickson and Bruno doing it once each from open play. But this feels like it's going back to the discussion about lacking a striker who's going to capitalize. No doubt. Um, and then the other thing I would add is I'm less convinced it has to do with the movement on the right side. As for Sancho's small sample size performing better on the right wing recently. And I'm, I think the right wing just generally has more space because of the way United's dominant on the ball players orient themselves. Um, I think possession is in early phases uh, more inclined to go down the left side, which means you sort of wind up with a slight, this is kind of difficult to explain in audio form without a visual aid, but imagine everything on the left, imagine the back line sort of, scrunched forward on the left and shifted over um, with more, as a result, more space for your right center back and your right back to cover Uh, and sort of the same process followed in in the midfield and the forward lines. So your, your striker kind of cheats over to the left. Your left winger is further off to the left. Um, You're looking for comp like tighter combinations on the left, um, which means you're more often switching into space on the right, uh, playing into space on the right, uh, moving into space on the right, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I just think the, the right, United's right hand side, as much as it's been a lot more effective this season in the aggregate operates in more space to this day. Yep. Um, I think that's good on that topic. Um, one more thing from, actually two more things from this match. Um, the second thing comes from Kana Murali, 
who says, quantify the effect of Casemiro apart from the goals and assists. Is that possible? Maybe a comparison with other defensive midfielders in the league. Um, I think it's hard to quantify, but I was a little bit worried about Casemiro's performance in this match. I think that's probably where this question is coming from. Um, I don't think Casemiro is the best defensive midfielder in the Premier League. I think that goes to Rodri. But behind that, I think he's as close as anybody. Yeah, I generally agree. I mean, when you say take away the goals and assists, I don't like I get why you asked that. I don't think you should do that, though. Um, no, the goals and assists are valuable and, and, and part of his game. Yeah. If I were to do it, I still think he's probably the best out of possession in the league. It's just that the gap to Rodri and other uh, holding midfielders isn't as large as the gap between Casemiro in early buildup phases and other holding midfielders. Um so if you want me to quantify it, I I don't even really know where to begin with that. Like quantifying to me means either we start talking about individual statistics, which I'm kind of against doing unless there's like, you know, we have a context for it. Like we're discussing a specific skill or it means, you know, developing a, a, a holistic model for evaluating defensive midfielder play, which that's a big ask. <laughs> um, and I don't think there is a good one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think Casemiro at his best is really valuable. Um, I think what you're seeing is a mix of him being tired and a little bit of panic from the fan base because he's in his 30s. This is something that we talked about happening when you sign a 30-year-old and they have a dip in form. Everyone assumes it's decline. I'm skeptical that it's decline, to be honest. Um, I, I'm expecting Casemiro to be fine next season. And that's as someone who thought that it was a relatively short-term signing. I think we're jumping the gun a little bit here. Um, I don't think physical decline is just like you go from being absolutely physically dominant at the top level, um, like Casemiro was in the first half of the season, to being relatively ineffective and overly aggressive to compensate for it. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I... wouldn't say there's no cause for concern here, but I would hold off the concern until next season. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think... Yeah, I think... You got a player here who is probably the greatest final third player amongst all players at his position um and that hasn't gone away with this supposed decline which doesn't make any sense to me to be honest with you like i don't i don't see how his out of possession prowess would would disappear and he'd suddenly just be overly aggressive getting to everything late because of his decline but still be hyper effective in the final third um that doesn't make any sense to me if you have a theory as to why that might be the case, I'm happy to hear it. But uh, intuitively, I, I'm not sure I buy that. And beyond that, when I watch Casemiro, I don't see a player who's like physically behind uh, the pace of the league. Um, I just think United's out-of-possession approach has been super inconsistent, uh, directly coinciding with his lower level 
um, of, of form. And so to me, what I see is not concerning. Uh, but if you want me to quantify him, quantify his, his performance, this is one of the, still one of the best defensive midfielders in, in Europe, in, in England. I think on balance, his season this year has been excellent. Yeah, that's that's what I would say. Awesome. Um, one last note on this Fulham game. United went relatively strong, not super strong with their starting 11. Um, but Martial FC Stockholder asked, do you think United should have played more academy players this season? Um, and personally, while I see the angle, I'm actually okay with it. Um, in the first season, in a high-pressure season, a season where United have gone deep in all competitions. And also, I find that a lot of United's youth talent is still really young. I think in two or three years, you're going to see a lot of these players hit like 22, 23. And that's when you're expecting them to either come into the first team or be sold. Um, Right now, most of them are born 2003 or later. And so that means I think they're relatively unlikely to play. And because United have been better this season, the gap between them and the first team is quite a bit larger than it has been uh, under Van Hall, especially. And at times under Mourinho and Solskjaer. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when I look at United's academy, especially the players who were still around and weren't on loan, I don't see any players who should have been playing major minutes here. And United were competing, like had stuff to play for until match day 37. Match day 38, yeah, I guess maybe you could say it was a stronger side than you would have liked. But I mean, it's not valueless to, to get third over fourth. And Garnacho started... Fred started, he hadn't been starting uh, for a while. McGuire started, he hadn't been starting for a while. Dallow hadn't been consistently first choice for two months. Or Malasia. Or Malasia. Um, I don't know, I thought there was a lot of rotation there. Not that that was the question. The question is about, should more youth players have played? I think clearly not uh, this season. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think this is something you see with when you like as much as as much credit as I've given to you know management and the coaching staff for getting United to a higher level this season a, a big part of it is that there are better players there's like that's not a non-variable United starting 11 is probably as good as it's been since Ferguson right like is that a controversial thing to say maybe there's like less punch in the front in the front four um, then at a point where you had Di Maria and uh, even a declining Rooney. Um, yeah, I think the way I'd put it is if you did a combined 11 of all the United teams post-Ferguson, this one would probably have the closest to the most players. On the balance, I don't know if this team is better on paper than the other teams because of the attack, but the defensive midfield are definitely up there. Yeah, I think the big thing is the attack, right? Like you don't have a Zlatan or a Di Maria or a Pogba, like... Bruno is your best attacker. I don't think he's at the level of those guys. I, like, I think he's slightly below. Um, and I think the supporting... Ca- like A lot of those guys overlapped. Pogba overlapped with Lukaku and Zlatan. Um, Di Maria... Yeah, Di Maria didn't really overlap with anyone. But I still think you drop prime Di Maria in this team. He's the best player. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Also, historically, if you really look at it, if you look at the number of players who have transitioned from the youth team to the first team, it's typically one per season in effective United sides. Um, Van Hall had two full seasons and 
United got Rashford and Lingard from that. Mourinho, I would say, was a manager who was considered to be poor at promoting youth. He had two and a half seasons or so, and you just got McTominay. Um, under Solskjaer, you had three seasons, and Williams didn't really make the first team on a longer-term basis, I'd say. So you had Greenwood until he was suspended. Um, Rangnick had Alanga. Typically, what you'll see is that the teams that were worse on paper promoted more youth. Um, yeah. And even the managers who were good at promoting youth promoted one player per season successfully. Um, and Garnacho has come through this season pretty effectively. I'm not sure the so. successfully heuristic is the right way to go about it, though. Because I think if you look at how many of these guys were relied upon, with LBG you have Varela, McNair, Borthwick, Je- uh, Borthwick Jackson. Yeah, there were a lot. Like I there can go on. Lot, like but... I, I didn't. Even, I wasn't even getting started there yet. You had James Wilson playing like actual minutes. Um, whom I'm sure I'm forgetting guys. There's a bunch of center backs who who played minutes. Um, Blackett, uh, though I think he got shipped off to, after the QPR loss. Um, definitely forgetting guys. Like so, like you're right, successfully sure, but there's a huge gap between. The usage. That said, uh, I think that you have the quality conversation. And I also think that a big part of what was going on with LVG was he perceived probably correctly that these youth players were going to do what he asked them to do. And he prioritized that over talent, which was probably his death knell and probably part of why the football was so stagnant at the end. Um, but yeah, anyway, and not not that, not important, but maybe an interesting tangent. Yeah, so maybe in future seasons we'll see a little bit more youth, but I I think I think one per season is is I still think that's fine. Um if United promote another youth player successfully into the first team, I know that's not I know that's not the only measurement of youth involvement, but I don't know, good academies do like other top teams with good academies are doing roughly similar. They're selling most of their youth players to top EFL clubs. That's what good academies do. They get their players to play senior football. It it matters less whether it's for United or not. There's also traditions of, you know, hopefully a few make it at United. Um, but, yeah, yeah I, I think mean, it is what it is. Who did Arsenal, also, who did Arsenal bet into to this year newly? Saliba, I guess. But this, that seems like cheating. Like, Saliba had three years of senior football in France. Um City, Rico Lewis. Um, am I forgetting somebody? No. Uh, Chelsea had Lewis Hall, and they're like a calamity Awful. this year. So, Tottenham. I'm not They've sure. had one or two over the last few years. I can <laughs> think of Oliver Skip. Yeah, but there no, I'm talking this, like this season. This season. Anyway, I. Like, I but also, I'm, the reason I'm doing, I'm doing this because, like, I mean, I'm sure if if you're a fan, a supporter of these other clubs, maybe you have an objection. And there's somebody we're forgetting, but these are the people who the players who played major minutes, and it's like one per team. And United have Garnacho, so this probably sounds like we're beating a dead horse here. But like, I think the answer is eh. I'll say one more thing. Um, I think people had a lot of they were looking back at the two seasons in which United had secured their position in the Premier League. Um, under Mourinho, they were sixth. Under Solskjaer, they were second. Going into the final game, and they had a Europa League final on a Thursday or a Wednesday in the middle of the week. And the Premier League finale was on a Sunday. So Mourinho and Solskjaer both pretty much dropped their entire first teams and played 
youth sides. Yep. Um, and I'd say another key difference is that the FA Cup final is in six days instead of three. Um, and that means that playing your first team is part of how you keep them fresh. Um, you don't necessarily want them going from Thursday to the Saturday after without any first team minutes at all. Yeah, I think I think agreed. Next. Cool. Awesome. Um, let's take a quick break and then we'll talk about the FA Cup final. All right, welcome back. A lot of people had questions about the FA Cup final. Um, a lot of questions we've heard before because United have already played City twice this season, but understandably many people are worried about beating City. Sam asks, how do or should we approach the FA Cup final? Devil's DNA asks, maybe a how can we beat Man City guide, um, starting 11, tactics, tweaks, subs. Um, Rahul Ramdas asked, hope both of you do your own starting lineups for the Cup final against City. Curious to see who you would pick at right back, midfield, and front three. Um, and Alex Emberton asked, do you start Ericsson or Fred against City next week or the wider? How would you set us up against City personnel or tactic-wise? Um, which a couple of other people asked similar, like, would you play Fred? And in general, what are the tactical traits of teams that are inferior to City and go to them and beat them? Um which I think is a good question. I mean, Brentford beat them today. I think it was obviously an uncompetitive game for them. Um, they've got two much bigger matches to prepare for in the next two weeks. Um, but I, I do think Brentford do a lot of things that are... Brentford actually did the double over them this season. And I do think Brentford do a lot of things that help overcome a deficit against City. Um, they're very strong out of possession. Uh, man-oriented press to limit balls into midfield. Um at least really easily. Um, I think they're able to easily go from back to front without having to play out of the back. So they don't have to really worry about getting out of city's press. I think a lot of those things would apply to United. Um, and I think a lot of the keys will show up as the same as they were in the Manchester Derby in January, which were prevent city as much as possible from being able to play out to the fullbacks in United's press. That's usually where the weaknesses in the press um, when they do play out to the fullbacks, try to restrict their options in a midfield. And then when you have the ball, boot it up and try to win second balls and get into the final third. Um, I don't really see United being able to play out of the press. I think another key note here is that um, in a league game, a draw is definitively worse than a win. Um, in a cup game, a draw can lead to a win. Um, if you think United have a less than 50% chance of winning this FA Cup final... I would say they have a 50% chance of winning a penalty shootout. So if the game goes to penalties, they have a better chance than they would have had an open play. So I don't think holding it at nil-nil and just forcing City to try and beat you is the worst thing. I wouldn't want to be completely reactive, but I think that makes it different to league play where a nil-nil doesn't really do as much for anyone as it does in a cup final. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think what you said about Brentford is interesting and... and worth getting into a little bit more. I think the sides that have given City trouble this season, what's characterized them has been, you're right, being effective out of possession, but more specifically, 
being conservative to in, in an interesting way out of possession, not sitting in their own half and just bunkering down, but pressing at a certain height on the pitch, um, trying to be disruptive at a certain juncture in, in City's buildup and then dropping off if City break. Um, instead of sort of doing what... And I hate to use Arsenal as an example because I think Arsenal played City pretty even uh, in the first fixture um, at the Emirates. But I think when you go man-to-man with them like across the entire pitch, press them into their own box, um, you're probably going to lose that just because they are so good, so well coached with their patterns, so well drilled, and the technical level is just so incredible. Um, so I think what you really need to do is pester them, try to get some of that um, upside uh, with the press, try to create a couple of high ball wins. But ultimately, if you're if that first line is broken, then you drop and and you go into that more conservative shape, and you dare them to beat you in a more you know in a deeper, not necessarily a deep block, but a low middle block. I think that's generally what we've seen be effective. Yeah, uh, did you get a chance to watch Brighton play them earlier in the week? I didn't really. I'm I'm guessing that's a different approach where you kind of try to match them at what they do, bait them and play out. Um, I don't think that's something that's feasible for United. So yeah, I did watch that. I did watch that match. Uh, Awesome match. Brighton were incredible. Um, Yes, I wouldn't say that their approach was what I just described. Um, But yeah, like like you said, a United aren't going to be able to do that. B, I think there's a certain level of variance involved in your ability to do that, like, replicably. Most sides who try that, it doesn't work. Brighton, one of the few this season who've pulled it off. And even then, I, I don't I don't think City were incapable of winning that match. So, that's not the way I would go. I would approach this match as United. Um, but, I mean, yeah, Deserby's incredible. I... It's it's pretty incredible that, that Brighton were able to upgrade on Potter because I actually I still think very highly of Potter and Deserby is just something else. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, starting eleven for the game. Um, would you play Fred? I think I would. I think so. Yeah, I think I think staying realistic because I don't want to just like be ridiculous. I want to ground this. I would say De Gea and goal. Shaw, left back, Lindelof, Varane, Wamasaka will start, so we'll say Wamasaka. Casemiro, Bruno, Fred, Erickson, Martial Rashford. That's what I'll say. Um, that's assuming Anthony isn't available. Who does Anthony replace if he is um, Martial? I think Erickson is what I would do. Uh, but I highly, highly, highly doubt he does. That's interesting. I'd pick a different front three for sure, I think. Um, I'd go Anthony Rashford and then either Sancho or Erickson. And then both Sancho and Erickson if um, if Anthony's out. I don't think I'd play Martial in this match, to be honest. Understandable. I think Rashford is most effective as a striker in matches like this, so I can totally see that. I just think Martial's had the ability to relieve pressure in matches like this in key moments. So maybe you keep maybe you're right. Maybe you keep him on the bench as a substitute and you introduce him at a moment when you feel like we're getting pinned later on. But yeah, I see. I see. I see what you're saying. So Sancho left wing. I, j- yeah. I just I I feel like maybe I would even do 
Anthony, Rashford, Fred, front three. And that sounds ridiculous, but like Fred functionally being like you're like out of possession, he'll be a left winger, but in possession, he'll be your fourth midfielder. I get that. Yeah. Um, you're isolating the area of weakness of United's press, I think, and putting the best individuals there yeah. in the press. Yeah, I think exactly. that makes sense. Yeah, I, I might do that, which is actually not dissimilar to what I think Rooney said he would do. Um, I don't know if you saw this. Did you see what Rooney Yeah, I did. I yeah, did. I think he said he would do like a 4-4-2 with Martial and Rashford up top and then Bruno out wide with Casemiro and McTominay through the middle and then Fred on the left, which... He said McTominay or Erickson. Yeah, McTominay or Erickson, which... I don't know. That's a that's a bit of, like, that's a huge difference in your approach. Whether you have McTominay or Erickson uh, through the middle, but I, I see what he's going for. Like I, I definitely, uh, I think F- Fred on one of the wings is a is a plausible approach here. It's a bit of it looks very conservative, but I think in reality it's it's just very pragmatic. Awesome. Yeah, I don't really. We did we did two preview episodes for the past Man City games. Um, I'd recommend going back and listening to them. I, I bet a lot of the similar themes apply. I know City are playing better now, but I also think a lot of it is just results turning in their favor. I am skeptical that, like, like they are definitely playing better, but I'm skeptical that they fluctuate as much as their results have fluctuated this season. Um, I always am. And as such, I think if you listen back to what we had to say back then, the main difference might be something to do with their playing four center backs now at the back instead of playing Walker and Cancelo as fullbacks. Um, But other than that, a lot of what they do tactically is really similar. And even in that game, while I think United did well to turn it around and win, and they did a lot of good things in that match, um, I also think City were probably very close to winning it. And if you play that match out a lot of times, United probably don't have as much favor, especially after going 1-0 down. So... I think that's all on that topic for me. Well, let's. We had a question that was Fred to play in the FA Cup instead of Ericsson, which we didn't answer directly. We kind of evaded. So it, I would play Fred for sure. I would play Ericsson maybe. Right. So you're, for you, it's not a one or the other. It's a more complicated question than that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I would not. I would not leave Fred on the bench for this match. There's no way. Yeah, I agree. Um, and frankly, if the match is getting dragged out, it's nice to be able to bring Ericsson on. Um. So, yeah, it's a it's an easy pick for me. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Okay. Um let's let's move on. We'll take we'll, we'll throw in another break here and then we'll talk a little bit about transfers. We had some big links this week. Um and then maybe a little bit of no details before we wrap it up. Transfers. Let's start with the biggest link of the week. Um, Cy Footy asked, what knock-on effect would the signing of Mount have on the profiles we want to buy in some of the other positions? Kenshi asked, what are the dynamics of the team if Mount joins? Um, good questions. I United were linked pretty strongly to Mason Mount. Um, rumors suggested from David Ornstein that if he left Chelsea, United would be his first choice. And then... After the game today at Stamford Bridge, he seemed to do like a walk around that suggested it might be the end. 
Chelsea obviously missed on European football, Mountus 24, entering the prime of his career. If he's sensing dysfunction, I don't think it's absurd to think he'd move. Chelsea need to sell players. United need midfielders. I don't really think United need midfielders like Mason Mount. What do you think about this? Um, 55 million for Mason Mount seems relatively likely. Yeah, I think with Mount, it's basically... He's a bad profile fit for United. He does not satisfy the things that we've talked about needing from United's midfielders. That said, I do think he's a 55 million pound player given the age he's at, the quality he can provide, his out of possession acumen. He's not like a, he's not Casemiro. He's not a volume ball winner, but he does run and he does execute pressing schemas at a very high level. Uh, I think United need more players like that. I think Anthony is one of the few players in the team. Fred, Casemiro, uh, to a lesser extent, I would even go so far as to say. Um, those are the guys who do that. And Fred, you can't count on to, to start lots of matches. Mount, you definitely could. Um, so I think those are all reasons why this would be understandable. But for me, let's say United spend $150 million this window net. I'd be pretty upset if he was 55 million of like 200 gross expenditure. I I think that would not be an efficient allocation of funds, even though I think he's a really good footballer. And and I see how you could slot him in, in place of Erickson. Yeah, I somewhat agree. Um, I'm guessing many who are listening probably saw my tweets about this earlier in the week. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll go through them in more detail here. Um, I'll go through them in more detail here. Um, United need a press-resistant midfielder. Mount might be that, but there's no proof. So we're going to assume that he is not one until he proves otherwise. Um, So press-resistant midfielders, you want to get one at an elite level. You're looking at the Frankie de Jong prototype. You can't get Frankie de Jong. I suspect the next best option is Moises Caicedo. I think United should try and go all out for Moises Caicedo. I think that would be my first move um, for the summer. You fail to get Moises Caicedo, the options start to get a little bit worse. Um, You're either going to get really press-resistant players who are not elite footballers, or you're going to get good footballers who are not that press-resistant. And I think either outcome leaves you in a situation where you're starting someone who is sub-ideal for this role. I also think there are question marks about whether the current midfielders, namely Erickson and Fred, can play major minutes next season. Fred already isn't playing major minutes. I think there are enough signs to suggest that the manager isn't really considering him a long-term main team option. Um, Erickson might be, but he's declined gradually throughout the season, and even early in the season, he's not really a 90-minutes player at this stage of his career. Um, at least not on a weekly basis. Um, so that leaves you in a position where if you sign one of those press-resistant players coming to mind, like, I don't know, Danny Ceballos, um, Romeo Lavia, Mateo Kovacic, these are some of the players who are in the frame of potentially being available this summer. I think Lavia in particular would be very good, but I do not think Lavia is in that bracket of comes straight into the first 11 and plays the whole season. Um, he's born 2004. He just played his first season in Premier League football. I think today he just made a huge blunder um, against Liverpool's press, leading to a goal. He's going to make mistakes like that. 
I think it's not sensible to bring someone in like that as your only midfielder to play a bunch of minutes. So if you only bring in Lavia, my assumption would be that Erickson or Fred is going to be playing a lot of minutes next season. That's where I think Mason Mount comes in. So I think Mason Mount is a really good midfielder. I think he's going to be one of the best midfielders who moves this summer. I do think he's a lot like Erickson. I think his competency replacing Erickson is going to be correlated with how effective he is at replicating what Erickson can do for United in build-up because I think the rest of his game at this stage of his career is better than the rest of Erickson's game at this stage of Erickson's career, um, especially out of possession where I think he'll add a lot to the press. So in a situation where you don't get Moises Caicedo, which would be my first choice, or an equivalent level and quality press-resistant midfielder, I think it makes a lot of sense to go for someone like Mount, who's going to eat up a lot of minutes over the next four to five seasons. I think he's in the right age bracket. I think he's in the right technical profile. I think he's in the right out-of-possession profile. And I think other teams are going to be after him. So if United don't get him, I'm pretty sure another top Premier League team would probably get him. Um, I'd imagine Liverpool will be after him. I think Arsenal will be after him. I wouldn't be surprised if City were after him. So... Yeah, I hear it. That's my Everything you're it. saying I think is true, but I think my bottom line on it is simply don't miss out on Caicedo. Like, <laughs> at a certain point, you need to stop missing out on your plan A's and just, like, get your plan A's and, and, and A, well, first of all, have the correct plan A and then get them uh, because, like, you're not going to construct a, a title-winning side with your plan B, t- like, players consistently. And like I'm not saying if you get Mountain not Kaiseido, that's the end of the project. But I'm saying at a certain point, you need to stop getting your plan B options and getting your plan A options. And Kaiseido is the plan A option for should be the plan A option for for a variety of reasons. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um I don't know, I guess it's just at what price do you say no on Kaiseido? I mean, there was a number with Aussie men, like for example, who I think was like the number one player we both wanted to join United this summer. And it seems like he's going to be too expensive. It just, it, it's the same thing again, right? Where it's like, he signed a bumper deal with Brighton for what seems like the express purpose of charging teams a ton of money to sign him this summer. I think he is the best talent they have had in my lifetime in terms of selling value. I think he's going to go for an absolutely astro- astronomical fee. So at what point do you just say, no, United will not pay that for Caicedo. Do you, do you have? Are you going to throw a number? <laughs> I think ninety million pounds is where I'm like questioning it. A hundred is where I don't do it anymore. But I don't think he's going to go for ninety million pounds. I think eighty is the number that it will be ultimately. I, I think Caicedo for eighty million would clearly be the best thing United could do this summer. I think that would change the team. So no disagreements there. Um, but I do think United could still be really good with Mount. So, could be. But I think if you get Mount, you got to get Lavia as well, um, or or somebody equivalent like an Andre. Um, and then I think you're a lot worse next season. Uh, but that isn't necessarily the end of the world. I think we're probably you're, like, you're worse than the situation where you get Caicedo. You're still better than you are now. Yes. Yeah, but I'm saying you're significantly worse than the situation where you yeah where you get Caicedo, like you said. But I, again, I, that's not necessarily the end of the world. I think you and I are, are pretty... Our expectations for next season are extremely low relative to what I think the rest of the fan bases are. Um, but not in a pessimistic way. Kind of in like a... Consolidating growth. Yeah. 
exactly. Um, I I also think you're kind of if you get Mountain Lavia, what you're doing is you're replacing Bruno. Um, but you're obviously not going to bench Bruno. Um, but what you're doing is you're creating an interim solution to help Lavia get into the first team. And then by the time you do, Lavia is exactly 10 years younger than Bruno. Um, Bruno plays a ton of minutes. I suspect we're going to see him hit a, a wall at some point, whether that's in two years or in five. Who knows? But Mount and Lavia are both at the age where they can still be around in five years with time left. So... Yeah, that's the that's the that's the idea of players. I think United should be going for, even though I don't think this is a profile that's in great need. Yeah, I, I guess part of my worry with the Mount deal is there's a situation where you know, let's say you get Mount, but you don't get any other midfielder. Uh, the out of possession stuff doesn't come together the way you want it to. Mount is it can't contribute to the early build up phases the way you want him to. Um, Things go south, which I think if all of those things were to happen, things would go south. Um, and by midseason, you have a new manager uh, who doesn't necessarily want Mount. Mount is viewed as a flop. His value is down massively, and it has very little to do with his actual ability to execute the role that he's meant to execute. Um, like that's, I mean, this sounds like insanely pessimistic, but this is this has been the reality with, at, with United players so many times. Where I just I don't want another square peg for a round hole. Yeah, yeah. I I think I think we're pretty close here to <laughs> to being in agreement. So um, another transfer or another transfer rumor that surfaced this week was Neymar. Um, Harry Kane also hit thirty goals, and I think he's kind of in the leading link alongside Victor Asiman and it seems like that's not going to happen so I feel like a lot of people are beginning to expect Kane um, and I think we've talked about this briefly in moments um, I think we both think Harry Kane's great but have mixed opinions on this transfer so um, let's start with let's start with Neymar actually um, under what circumstances would you bring in Neymar if it were a loan deal this is like a no-brainer, I think. Um, I still think Neymar, when he's healthy, is one of the five best players in the sport. I think the value of a forward at that level is insane. Um, even if he, even if he's even if he only plays two thousand league minutes next season, <clears throat> he he your ceiling is so much higher. Your ability to like I think your your outlook in the CL changes drastically. Um, I think your ceiling in terms of the points you could wind up with changes drastically. Um, if it's not a loan deal or if it's a loan deal with an obligation to buy for some astronomical fee, then it's an obvious no, right? Cause he can't stay healthy. There's like a lot of reasons to be concerned if, when you've got like a major investment. Uh, but if this is like a, a loan deal with a 30 million pound obligation to buy, or a four, even a 40, maybe 50 million pound obligation buy, I think you'd do it. Uh, which, I think this is all a moot point, because I think these rumors got poo-pooed. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think what's going to happen is he's going to end up staying as a result of Messi leaving PSG. 
there were rumors that Neymar and Mbappe had fallen out, but you know, these things change really quickly next year. I'm sure I would not be surprised if Mbappe is assisted 15 times by Neymar next season, completely normal and no fights whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I pretty much, I'm pretty much on the same note here. I think it's likely you end up spending a lot in wages. Um, maybe you could strike an agreement if PSG are going to let him go, but ultimately, especially if you're not going to get that striker, it's nice to have elite quality and United need elite quality. Um, and so I'd bring him in. It, it sounds like I know a lot of people are a little bit like they're looking back at the Ronaldo news. Here's the difference. Neymar is still elite. Ronaldo was not. Um, and I think that is like, that is actually the key factor is that he's really good at football. He's going to make United better at football. I'm almost unequivocally. Um, yeah, which makes it really simple. I think the other thing I would add is given the conversation we're about to have about Harry Kane, this is going to sound really odd. Like this, us, us being like, yes, Neymar, yes. But the thing you need to contextualize it with is Neymar at a reasonable price is obviously all systems go because like the risk, like worst case scenario, he's hurt all year, but it's not a crippling amount of money. It's not going to drastically change your transfer plans if he declines drastically or he can't stay on the pitch. And and in the positive outcome, he makes your side actually competitive at the highest level. That's a very different thing from Neymar for 120 million pounds, right? Because you're assuming a massive amount of risk. You're investing your future in an old player. He's 31 with a long injury history. That's dangerous. It's two super different conversations. Is high-end talent, especially in the forward positions, incredibly valuable? Absolutely, yes. Is investing 100 million pounds in a 30-plus-year-old player a smart investment, especially if you're not in a position to challenge to begin with? Obviously, no. And with that, I think we're in a good position to talk about Kane. Yeah, so let me start by saying this, which is kind of like a reframing of what you just said. I would absolutely be first in line to sign Harry Kane on a free transfer next summer. Easy. I think that would be great. I would not pay $100 million or $80 million or $60 million to get Kane a year early. I know the free transfer will cost more in wages than the $60 million transfer. However, I don't think one year or even two years of Kane is worth a straight-up $100 million outlay. Because I don't think United are going to win the Premier League next year. I don't think they're likely to win the Premier League the year after. And even if they were, I think it's a big financial gamble even then to say we're going to definitely win the Premier League if we sign Harry Kane. Um, I think we're at it, we're even below that where it's like we're almost definitely not going to win the Premier League even if we sign Harry Kane. Um, but it's, it's a similar idea. I mean, I, I don't think... Kane at his peak is quite as good as Neymar, but I think Kane is more available. Um, he's just posted one of the best seasons in the history in of the Premier, Premier League history <laughs> from a striker. Yeah, like he's been amazing. Um, I think Kane's amazing. I think he's a perfect fit for United in that he can do the traditional number nine stuff. He can do the hold up stuff. He can do the playmaking stuff. He's pretty much a perfect fit because he can do anything, um, which is great. But he is almost thirty. He has a history of injuries. You're not going to blow the entire summer's budget on that when 
you need other positions to fill, and he's available for free next summer. If anything, you'd loan Neymar for a year and then get Kane on a free. Yeah, I think you nailed it there. I would not spend any serious amount of money on Kane this summer. Maybe you could... Can, 50 million pounds is probably where I draw the line, which is like pretty similar to the Neymar line. Uh, Kane, probably, maybe you could go higher than Neymar because... Um, yeah, I wouldn't go 50 million on Neymar. I'm really... Con- I, I really don't have... Um, a, a positive idea of how long Neymar has left yeah, at, at this that's level. That's understandable. Whereas I think Kane has a Kane has at least a couple years left. Yeah. I think like my my this is where I'm no longer comfortable price is for both of those players is like thirty million pounds for Neymar. Uh maybe thirty five. Thirty five is where I'm no longer comfortable. Kane fifty is where I'm no longer comfortable. And that's mostly because age, where United are as a team and the fact that he's free next summer. And I get it. I get if you get him this summer, you don't have to play the bidding war next summer. But I don't think the cost of missing out on him next summer is worth a hundred million pounds. Like I don't think that's justifiable at all. I think that would be such a bad use of money. I also just think United are in prime position to get him either way if they want him. Because City signed Holland and all the other big teams in England are Spurs' biggest rivals. Like, I guess it'll be United or Newcastle. Chelsea seems um, plausible. I wouldn't be astonished if that happened, but... Yeah, that's fair. But, I I mean, that's not even really, like, a thing right now. Yeah. Unless Chelsea go and get third next season. Um, which is not impossible, but... Yeah. Yeah, but I think, I think that covers it on Kane. We love Kane. Kane is one of the three best footballers in the Premier League. He'd make United way, way, way better. Probably the player who United could get who would make them like have the biggest impact on them next season, uh, in a positive to a positive extent. But the reality is it's still not gonna be enough to win a title. And if you're not gonna win a title with that move, it's not worth a hundred million pounds. Awesome. Okay. A little bit more of a uh philosophical transfer question, I guess. Um Nana Kofi Asiyama asks what do you think about the club signing players mostly based on the recommendation of the manager? Um, and kind of contrary, Peter asks, any Ajax players we should sweep in for after they finish third in the Eredivisie? Um, I kind of threw that in because I imagine you're quite happy about Ajax finishing third. Uh, but also, I-, I like this question because I think it's a it's a good framing thing. Um, under Mourinho, if you look at the transfer record, he signed... In his second season, you had Matic, um, who he had coached at Chelsea. You had Lindelof, who was from Portugal, from a Portuguese academy. And you had Lukaku, who, again, there were Chelsea connections. And also, he was a high-profile name. If you look at Solskjaer's time, he signed a lot of players who were connected with other United players during his time at United um, and where they are now in their managerial careers. He signed a lot of players within the Premier League. Um, and then if you look at Ten Hag last summer, he did the same thing. He signed a lot of Ajax players. He signed a lot of Dutch players. He signed a lot of former Ajax players. And then he signed Casemiro, who's a big name. I think that points to a clear trend of signing, in quotes, who the manager wants. And I use that in quotes because a lot of people say, you know, teams should back the manager and sign who the manager wants. And I think there's a, you, you have to distinguish between, um, 
signing who the manager wants in terms of failing to acquire targets that the manager needs to play football and signing who the manager wants in terms of just signing literally I the want players that the being. manager recommends. Yeah. yeah. Um, what needs to happen is there has to be a scouting system where there's a team that identifies what Ten Hag wants and presents every option in the world who can potentially do that. And then they sit and evaluate every option and make their decisions and purchase them. Based on United's transfer activity, I would argue that it seems like they're not doing that. Um, or if they are, they're not doing it well enough. Um, and and that, I think, is a problem that leads to suboptimal recruitment. Um, I don't think it means United can never be that good, but it does, I do think it means you're limited to who Ten Hag has watched, and that means you're limited to that quality, and you're likely going to pay more. Um, and, and also, I think a lot of people have this idea of, like, how could someone else know better than the manager what players can join the team? And the reality is the manager's job is to be managing the team. Um, the manager is not sitting around watching, you know, the Brazilian second division and going, oh, I really like that guy. You should sign him. Um, and I think a lot of people on Twitter have this perception of like talent ID where it's like the manager is sitting, loading up tape of like the the Dutch second division, which frankly, I don't even think many people on Twitter who are suggesting people from the Dutch second division are doing, um, let alone Eric Ten Hag, who is coaching United for like 80 hours a week. Um I don't work in football, so I don't know how this works, but I imagine the best clubs, the manager is not the one who is scouting all of the players, making the short lists, and then making the signings. I just imagine the manager is the one suggesting the profile. That is a fact. Like, and, and I can say, like, I have not worked at a club, but I have spoken to enough people who work at clubs and, and do this stuff. That is not how effective transfer departments work. Uh, but that isn't to say that that's how United's transfer department works. We don't know for sure. It just seems to be that way at least to some extent however we do know for a fact that united's scouting network has suggested players to united's managers before um i remember a pretty widely reported story i don't remember if this was last summer or if it was under solstar was about pau torres and how the scouting department really really liked him um as like a left center back option but Whoever the manager was at the time preferred someone else. I don't remember if it was Martinez last season or if it was Ake before that. Um, but like, it's not like this, the, the scouting department doesn't exist, right? It's more that it doesn't seem like they have a lot of pull. Or, yeah, yeah, that's how I put it. Um, they seem more like a, to, to just rubber stamp stuff that the manager wants than the other way around from the outside. Yeah, so I mean, there's two scenarios. There, no, there's three scenarios occurring here. Scenario one is United aren't scouting wide enough. Scenario two is the manager is suggesting players uh, because he's being asked to, because no one else is suggesting players in a forum that is leading to actual transfer activity. And option three is people are suggesting players to the manager who is saying no. That That one's the most concerning because... That means that they've signed Ten Hag with this idea of you are going to recruit everyone, which is just not how clubs should work and would be a problem in his contract that is likely to persist. So, I mean, I guess the answer to the question is I don't think clubs should sign players mostly based on the recommendation of the manager. 
I mean, I think most successful recruitment clubs over the last 10 years probably did not. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think if I were to speculate wildly, I would guess the way it has been working is manager comes to the recruitment team or the director of football, whoever it may be, and says, I need a player of this type. And they go, okay, here's our list. And he goes, no, I don't like any of these guys. And they go, okay, well, what should we do? And he goes, well, I've got this guy who I know can do this thing. And they go, okay, I guess. And that's how how it goes. That is that is my impression of how um, United's transfer policy has worked the last decade. Uh, that is totally... That is... Uh, my dramatization of of that process and i'm sure it doesn't go that linearly um and i probably it probably doesn't even belong on this podcast because it's totally speculation but that's my guess um and that's not good uh so yeah that's simple all right let's end this off with oh um i'll, I'll actually any ix players nobody that directly uh addresses like a, a primary need Brobby is the one I would really want. Brobby's been wildly inconsistent this season. Still hasn't nailed down the center forward position, but in the minutes that he has played in the Dutch top flight, he's been one of the most productive strikers in the history of the Dutch top flight. Um, he would be physically elite relative to the Premier League. He's still really young. I think he's either still 20 or he just turned 21. I love the tools. I'd be so in on this for like anything under 30 million. Um, Otherwise, a lot of people saying Kudus, there's gr- the stuff to love there, but he, it's pretty unclear what his best position is. And I think that is because he loves to roam in possession and he is pretty, he's a pretty big negative out of possession. That's what I would say. He doesn't, I think a, a big reason why he was used at center forward a lot this season is to, to make him less key in the execution of the press. Um, it also had to do with his, he has an insane ability to hold up the ball um, and dribble evasively in transition. But I think OOP uh, considerations were, were definitely at the forefront of that decision as well. Uh, otherwise players who I would want um, Timber, like, but I'm, I'm not like, Oh, you got to get him. Like, I think that's just like, yeah, I'm quite a guy who's on good timber. enough. He's good enough. Um, otherwise, I think those are the guys. Um, this is, I would say this is not a squad that's littered with Premier League-ready talent, at least young players. All right. Last thing, no details. I really like this one, and our friends over at Pot Shot Pod really wanted to get into no details this week. I think they submitted like four questions between the two of them. Um Sorry, Alex Towles, we've picked Collings' question, which was, rank these carbohydrates, rice, bread, pasta, and potatoes. I don't actually think I can do this, to be honest. But I'm going to I'm gonna let you go first. Yeah, this is really hard. I'm definitely not getting rid of bread. So forget about that. This is a rice, pasta, potatoes, uh, three-horse race. Uh, so, so bread's fourth? No, bread I'm keeping. I'm keeping bread. So bread's first. Bread is. I don't know if it's first, but like, I'm, there's no way I'm. There's no way it's going down. Like, I'm not relegating. It's a ranking. Bread. <laughs> it's a. It's a ranking. All right. Well, I'm. I'm. I'm doing this by process of elimination. Right. Okay. 
All right. I can't believe I'm doing this, but I think potatoes is, is going down, is getting relegated. And then I think rice below above that and then pasta and then bread. So four potatoes, three rice, two pasta, one bread. Ooh. Okay. I think I have potatoes fourth as well, which is crazy because it's I nuts. eat potatoes all the time. I, yeah. I love them. Yeah. I think that I think the main lesson here that Alex is trying to get us to realizes that we probably need to eat less carbs yeah. i mean I, I um I, I think i'm gonna put pasta third understandable i almost i almost because, put pasta last but then i realized i eat it too much to do that yeah it's just it's just versatility i feel yeah. like which is probably why i'm gonna put rice first because you can just it's just in everything like all, a lot of my favorite foods or close to all of my favorite foods probably have rice in them um and then bread which is like fresh baked bread is one of the best things in the world on the planet. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like not fresh baked bread would probably be fourth, but not because I dislike it, just because the standard is so high here. So, yeah, I'm going with rice, bread, pasta, potatoes. Yeah, I, I, I can respect that. I, I'm, I've got no outrage for you today, Aaron. You'll live to see another no details. <laughs> awesome um and with that i think that's all we have for today hope you guys enjoyed next week we got a season review coming for you so we'll probably name our player of the season and hopefully celebrate the fa cup trophy thanks for tuning in everyone hope you enjoyed this week's devils in the details you can follow us at devils itd pod on twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.